Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Good afternoon to you. Welcome. Wonderful to be with you on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon here, just about 10 minutes past 2 on this Wednesday afternoon. And of course, therefore, it's time for Judaism 101.9. Well, I'd like to change tack a little bit. Uh, we've been speaking the last few weeks about the Yomim Tobim, and of course, next week we'll have a opportunity, an opportunity to chat about Shavuot, about Shavuos, that is coming up um, at the end of next week. But in the interim, perhaps um, to verge into something a little bit different for uh, today's time that we have to spend together. And that is um, something that actually was sparked by a, a little girl in our community who came over to me together with her dad on this past Shabbat. And um, told me that she had, I think she's five five or six years old, that she decided that um, she was going to take her favorite book that she had actually brought to our shul um, with her in her uh, pushchair, in her pram, in her whatever you call it today, her stroller, <coughs> that she'd come with her father. They walked quite a long distance. That she was going to take this book and she was she wanted to give it to our children's section. Now, at the back of our shul, we have a selection of kiddies' books. It's a nice thing to have in a shul, I guess, at all times, uh, where parents, uh, fathers, mothers, and so on, can take out a book from the shelf, and during davening or after davening, whenever it is, during the prayers in the morning, um, they have a chance to sit with their kids, perhaps read them a story, let the kids look at a book, uh, read a story to themselves if they're of age. There are some uh, for <coughs> small little babies, and there are some for um, kids perhaps of all ages. And it gives them an opportunity to read from those books. And here was a little girl who, um, unsolicited, um, unasked, not that anybody had ever advertised um, how this thing actually runs, here, this little girl said she wants to give that book to this little library um, in order to um, allow other kids to enjoy the book as much as she does um, because it's her favorite book and uh, she loves it when her mommy or her daddy read it to her. And uh, here, this little child wanted to give that book to the Schulz collection, to the Schulz library. And in fact, um, even though we kind of coaxed her that uh, maybe she would want the book and she needed it and so on. She was quite adamant that she wanted to leave it there, and so the book was left there. It was left there on Chavez. Um, it is still there and, um, of course, able to be enjoyed by any other kids who come into our shul um, at any time during the week or on the coming Shabbos or weeks ahead. The thought crossed my mind at the time. Um, first of all, what a beautiful thing it was that a child of that age has that kind of ability to share, um, that kind of ability to understand the idea of giving and so on. But where did she get it from? Where did a child of that age actually get the notion, get the idea from that uh, this was something that she wanted to do? It um, kind of runs against the grain of... Uh, Self-preservation, of self-interest, of uh, selfishness, of uh, what's mine is mine kind of an attitude that many, many have, and particularly children haven't yet learned 
um, the art, really, of being empathetic, of thinking of the feelings of others. I remember as a young student many years ago, when uh, we started learning in the basics of psychology about uh, teaching empathy to children, there is, uh, there are a whole lot of empathy tests that are done to see at what level of empathy um, a child is actually at. And one of those tests was to hold up a card or a piece of paper that on one side is black and on the other side is white. And uh, you show the child either side. You say, what color is this? And they say white when they're looking at the white side. And they say black when they're looking at the black side. And then you kind of hold the card up in front of yourself and between you and the child. And um, you hold either side looking at them. You say, what color do you see now? And they'll say white. And you then say, what color do I see without showing it to them? And at a certain age, they're unable to tell you. They can't think empathetically. They can't think what it is that you're actually looking at and how you're actually seeing it. So it's an amazing thing at that young age that a child not only understands empathy, understands sharing, understands the idea of caring for others, and understands the idea of tzedakah, of charity. And there is, I believe, only one place and one environment where that child could have learnt that kind of behavior, and that's at home. In the biggest classroom and the most important classroom of all, um, your home, um, this is where children grow and learn the most basic of um, all of their future behaviors. And um, the teachers who are standing there and or sitting there and being there to teach them are, of course, the parents. Yes, older siblings sometimes play a role, but where have they got their empathy or their understanding or their charitable notions from? Where have they learned, if not from the same parents and in the same home? And yes, we're living in an environment and a society where there is so many things that are distracting. There are so many things that pull us away from our goal and our job. But we have to, if we're talking Judaism 101.9 today, we have to make every effort to kind of pull away, get back to basics and uh, think about as uh, Judaism 101.9 is a course of basics in Judaism. It's the idea of the very basics that we should know, that we need to know and that sometimes we have overlooked or we've forgotten. How do we get back to basics in a world that keeps on telling us that um, old-fashioned is wrong, that basics weren't necessarily correct, that the way that things were dealt with in the past um, may need to be reviewed and uh, uh, re-looked at and then rethought and uh, re realigned and so on? There's nothing wrong with questioning and there's nothing wrong with looking at all of those things and there's nothing wrong with that kind of a notion or that kind of a process. But when we take something that is incredibly valuable, something that is incredibly powerful, something that is so important, and something, of course, that is uh, commanded to us in our Torah, where we are told in the Shema prayer that we say every day, which is famous, and of course, it is a quote directly from the Chumash, from the five books of Moses, where we are told that uh, we need to teach our children, it's a positive commandment to teach your children, and we should note, that the verse goes on and says that this teaching and speaking of these things, which perhaps we need to couple together, has to be when you're sitting at home, and when you're on the road, when you're out and you're traveling. Um, 
And it's in your lying down and in your getting up. It's at the time of your lying down and your time of your getting up. Now, we ordinarily take it to mean that at all of these times, we should remember God. At all of these times, we should make sure that we are uh, praising Hashem. We should remember to say our Shema and recognize that God is one just before we go to sleep and just when we get up. And, of course, when we're out on the road and, of course, when we're at home. But the idea of a shinantam levanecha, vidibartabam. And you must speak, speak, speak of them. You must teach them to your children and speak of them. Perhaps we can say, we need to say that it also applies to all of the aforementioned places and spaces that we find ourselves in, that we're involved in. And it is there that we are providing the most important, the most incredible learning experience for our children. It's become a modern trend, I think that people are looking for uh, parental guidance. They're looking for courses, and people are flocking to and going to courses on um, how to raise children, raising children to care, raising children to be good, raising children in this way or that way or whatever. And uh, we can hear all the most wonderful stories and all the most wonderful experiences. But um, the place where, hopefully, you learned how to bring up a child was in your own home. And perhaps... You learned it well, and perhaps there were some things that you made a mental note of and that you understood weren't so clever and weren't so good, and you wanted to correct them and fix them. But that doesn't give you the right, and it doesn't put you in a position whereby you can say that um, you have you have to usurp your role. As a parent, you have to usurp, usurp your role. As a father or a mother, it is obligatory that uh, we teach our children, we teach them well, and um, that we make sure that it is reflective uh, or that it reflects from the good behavior that we have when we're at home, when we're on the road, when we're lying down, and when we're standing up. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. I remember many years ago attending a course at one of um, the local schools in town. It was a time when I had... Kids in primary school and, uh, <clears throat> of course, you as fledgling parents go along um, to try and uh, glean whatever you can from the experts that are called in. And there was a particular child psychologist who was lecturing at the time. And um, when he came to the end of his uh, lecture, his talk, he asked for questions. There was... You and I know that there are always some people who have to ask questions. Um, there are always some people who ask beautiful, intelligent questions, and then those who perhaps incriminate themselves by the questions that they ask. And this particular case was um, a lady who got up, um, I remember it so clearly, and um, she asked the question. They were talking about um, getting your kids to listen. How do you get children to to listen, to understand, to follow the instructions and so on. How does that all work? And uh, very often what uh, you're experiencing at home is reflected in the classroom. What's experienced in the classroom is reflected at home. And therefore there is this need for some kind of a synergy <laughs> for the parents to talk to the teachers, the teachers to talk to the parents, and for every everybody to understand that, as they say, everybody's on the same page as far as this child is concerned. And so the question that was posed to this Expert was, um, what do you do if you have a child who just won't listen? You have a child who just won't listen. Well, of course, uh, he first said, well, the child needs to be checked out to see if there is some sort of a disability. Um, 
possibility that the child's not hearing you, possibility that the child is frustrated with something and they're expressing themselves um, in frustration, um, in kind of stamping their feet and walking away and not listening. But once you've checked out all of that stuff and you're convinced and you know that the child is normal, that the child is um, okay um, health-wise, mentally, etc., um, then one has to take a look at the examples that you are setting. And um, he went on to expound upon it in this way. It was something like this. He said, you know, if you were uh, being posted overseas, if you were going on a an overseas contract, an overseas job, um, and you had a few months to learn the language of the foreign country that you were going to, you would need to um, get whatever uh, was available in the realm of uh, learning aids. You would get uh, some... Uh, uh, downloads. You would uh, go onto the internet. You would research. You would maybe get a dictionary. Maybe go to a class that's offered in that particular language in your town, and try and pick up at least to be able to communicate a little bit when you get to this foreign country, so that you're not at a loss uh, when you want to buy a bottle of milk or you want to uh, know where the pharmacy is or uh, how to call a doctor or whatever it is um, in order to be able to make do. And he said, and then you're posted to this country, let's say, for 10 years and you're living, you're living for 10 years in the foreign country. And he says, and after that time, you do become quite fluent in the language. But eventually, after being there for 10 years, um, you would think that you would be absolutely proficient in every dimension of the language. First of all, um, you'll never pick up the accent. And secondly, you probably will still be battling with grammar and you'll probably still be making certain basic um, errors in your language. It's just the way that it is. He says, but take um, then, on the other hand, a child, a little kid who's growing up in that country um, from the age of one to, let's say, two and a half or three, where a tremendous amount of the language is learnt um, in uh, kids um, we know in any realm and all around the world. The child, let's say, at age three or four can speak the language pretty fluently We'll have the accent right, we'll have the um, intonation right, we'll have the pronunciations right, we'll have the grammar right. We'll be able to speak the language almost perfectly. And he said, now why is that? We are led to believe that children's brains are <coughs> not yet properly developed. We're, uh, we would think that, uh, you know, how can they absorb much better than an adult who's learning? Surely an adult learning a language uh, should be able to do it unless you've got this prodigious, exceptional talent. Um, uh, we should be able to learn it a lot a lot more fluently, a lot quicker, but um, we can't. It just doesn't work that way. And um, he then went on to say, and why is this? Why is it that a child um, at such a basic age can pick up every nuance of a language and yet older people um, always seem to battle with it? And the answer that he gave, of course, was uh, quite a simple one. And that is that uh, the best place for a child to learn anything is from the parents in the home. The parents are the teachers of that language. They're expressing themselves all the time to the child, and the child is mimicking. The child is copying. The child is um, <clears throat> doing whatever it is that the parent does, um, from the accent to the intonation to the pronunciation to the usage of language, etc. And he then concluded, and he said, now, if you have a child who stamps their feet and just doesn't listen, it's very possible, and in fact probable, that the child has seen that from either and he's pointed to her, either you or your husband, that um, somewhere at home, the child is mimicking a behavior 
that he has seen. Now, we do know that there are so many other influences on our children today with uh, television, with uh, videos, video games, all the other things that um, make up the life of a child growing up um, at this time. But the parental role should be the most dominant and it should be the clearest and it should be the purest and it should be the best that we can offer this child, that we can offer all our children, that we can give to them on a regular basis, the attitude um, that it's the job of the school, the attitude that it's the job of anything else out there or that we're going to stick them in front of a computer or of, of, a, of a television or leave them with uh, carers, with babysitters, with au pairs, with anything else is uh, one that honestly needs to be changed. It needs to be rectified. It needs to be fixed. There is something uh, prolifically wrong with uh, the way we're going about this and the uh, attitude of um, uh, not being capable of it and not being able to uh, do it. Well, how many parents are actually qualified for the job when they start off? This is something that has been uh, the source of uh, so much that has been written and spoken about and thought about. Um, None of us are qualified except for the fact that we ourselves were children and we ourselves grew up seeing and learning and knowing what was good and what was bad in the way that we were raised and the way that we were taught and the way that we were dealt with by our particular parents. And therefore, the onus that Torah places on parents is huge. We're told that we have to teach our children. No, not the teachers at school only. Yes, from time to time, you can usurp that role a little bit when it comes to practical education. Not all of us are schooled in exactly how to teach science, mathematics, Hebrew, English, whatever the case may be. And therefore, we send them to schools in order to learn those subjects, but certainly not behavioral things, certainly not in how to be a mensch, certainly not when it comes to the attitudes of charity, of tzedakah, of sharing, of caring, of all the things that we started out saying, that where, does it, where is it that a child gets it from that um, they would like to share their favorite book with everybody else, that they would like to give something away, that they feel an obligation or a sense of community that there is there are others who can benefit from something that I enjoy, that I like. Where does a child get that from, if not from the parents? Parental influence is huge. It's great. It's wonderful. And clearly, this little girl has seen and heard about sharing and caring, stocker, charity, in her home. And clearly, the parents can proudly say that they are doing something fantastically right, something correct, something good that they have allowed to be filtered through to this little child, that a child of that age should feel that way and be able to care and share in uh, the most kind-hearted fashion that uh, this little girl um, happened to do in our community on this last Shabbat. So the influence of the home and the influence of the parents is tremendous, but it's a total obligation. It's something that we need to remember and we need to take seriously. And more and more we are seeing, and we do see, and I think you're seeing as well as I am, that parents are usurping that role. Parents are either not sure what to do or we are getting ourselves into this um, kind of, I need me time, I need my time, I need my space. How many people have you heard lately say to you, We need a break. We need to get away. We need to get away from the kids. We need to leave them. We need to go away and let them fend for themselves. Um, (coughs) 
I don't think they mean that literally, let them fend for themselves, but, uh, you know, we're doing too much for them. And yes, perhaps in certain realms we are doing too much for them. We're doing too much, perhaps in the realm of expecting too much from them. We're not happy, we're not satisfied if they are not coming top of the class, if they're not doing every uh, sport in town, if they're not involved in every possible extramural that they could. Um, it's um, actually quite fascinating and um, uh, quite a thing if you uh, think about from the uh, position that we're in as rabbis, perhaps as um, people who are trying to make a, a difference in people's lives in communities, that um, you see uh, kids coming along for bar or bat mitzvah lessons and so on, and it's very often incredibly difficult to, to get a time, even once a week, to meet with these kids. Um, they are busy, busy, busy lives. Um, if they're not attending other bar and bat mitzvahs, if they're not involved in other school activities, they have um, this sport and that sport and then this extra lesson and this extra mural. And uh, they have to do all of these things at all their free time. There's no such thing anymore as uh, children, or certainly we're not seeing it, that children have free time, that uh, there's time on their hands. They're They're so occupied, they're so involved that we are forgetting to teach the children um, what is important, what is relevant in their lives, giving them the opportunity to really, really spend time together with the pe- people that they're going to learn the most from, which is you, mommy, and you, daddy, that uh, they're going to learn the most from you. And you need to spend that meaningful time together with them. How do we spend that meaningful time together with them, and how does Judaism view it? Well, Torah does give us very, very clear guidelines, and not the least of which is the beautiful advent of something called Shabbat. On Shabbos, on Shabbat, to spend time with your family is incredibly important. But it's not just spending time at home, lounging around, and basically doing nothing or playing a board game and so on. But it's about teaching your kids the importance of a community, taking your kids to shul, spending time with them in the shul, not simply relying on the uh, youth services, the children's services, uh, those who are appointed to take care of them or the playground duty moms or uh, people around or even as has become unfortunately a little bit fashionable that you uh, send your kids to shul with a maid to look after them so that you can stay at home and sleep. These are unfortunately very, very negative messages that we're sending to our children. First of all, it doesn't take a rocket scientist of a child to work out that uh, my mom is trying to get rid of me and therefore palming me off and shul is just a convenience and my mom and my dad are staying at home and they're sending us to, to shul. Well, if it was so important to them, they would be going themselves. And then we're worried about things that um, may be transpiring on the playground ground and we're upset that the uh, personalities, the personnel, the the counselors, um, uh, the security and so on of our communities is not up to par, it's not up to scratch and we get all upset and uh, and angry about it. But in truth, um, there is only one person who's really responsible for the children on the playground and that's you, the parents. Uh, parental involvement is of paramount importance and the kids need to understand that it's important to you and they need to see from you by an act of example that um, being in shul and being in Involved in prayer, in davening, and recognizing God, and paying homage uh, to Hashem, and saying Ashma at all the junctures along the way when we do. When we are sitting at home and when we're on the road, and when we're lying down, and when we're standing up, 
All of those are of paramount importance for our children to learn. And it's only through that experience of having it surround us at all times that we can safely say that our children have got and we have created the environment for them. Much more important than any other kind of message or methodology of how to synchronize your game time with your play time, with your home time, and how to make sure that uh, your child feels loved and cared for and so on. Set the right example. It's uh, the best treatment and the best way to teach your kids. Now, in these challenging times that we've been talking about, many people are under pressure, and for some it can become all too much. Who does one turn to? Now, FM will be starting a helpline later this year, and we're looking for compassionate, caring volunteers to train as call center counselors. If you have a background or an interest in counseling and you want to find out more, please email Helpline at chaifm.com. Chaifm, 101.9 megahertz of serving the community. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. There are so many occasions in the Torah where Hashem instructs us to keep His mitzvahs. He talks about keeping my commandments. We refer to it as well. We speak about keeping your commandments. We talk about this uh, kind of reciprocity that we have between ourselves and God with the concept of keeping the mitzvot, keeping the mitzvahs. Now, if we study, if we put under the spotlight what a mitzvah actually is, a mitzvah is not only a command or a commandment, but a mitzvah, we're told, also comes from the sense, the concept of chibur, of joining together. If we look back at the etymological analysis of the word mitzvah, it talks about a connection of joining together. So the concept of a mitzvah is that it joins us, it connects us. Now, yes, of course, when we do a mitzvah, it connects us to the Almighty. Of course, when we're doing something that Hashem wants us to do, like with a king who gives his subject something to do um, or an order, um, that creates a relationship. The king is happy when the subject performs that um, uh, task and the person feels that they have done something to satisfy the king and therefore both are um, satisfied, both are happy, both enjoy this interaction and they come a little bit closer through that interaction. Well, it's one of the images of what a mitzvah, the performance of a mitzvah actually is between ourselves and the Almighty. But there is a perhaps a deeper thing that we need to look at, and that is that God refers to the mitzvahs as my commandments, which leads us to understand from many of our commentators that um, God, so to speak, does not ask us to do anything that he doesn't do. The mitzvahs are not just our mitzvot, our commands. They're God's commands as well. God doesn't run Judaism or doesn't run his world um, as a cult-like figure. God rather sets a most brilliant example in that he will only ask us to do things that he himself does. God says, I would like you to be holy because I am holy. I would like you to be charitable because I am charitable. I would like you to be kind because I am kind. I would like you to be benevolent because I'm benevolent. I would like you to teach because I teach. I would like you to be an example as a parent because I'm an example as a parent. And perhaps this is why the idea of parenting or parenthood 
um, expressed in the Ten Commandments says, Kabed et avicha the idea of parents being respected by their children, loved by their kids, looked up to and um, uh, glorified, magnified by their children is uh, really part of our relationship with the Almighty rather than part of our relationships between man and man. It is because... We, as parents, should imitate, emulate the example of the Almighty, emulate God's example. If God asks us to do something, it's only because he does it. That is an incredibly powerful basic symbol of what Jewish education is all about. We cannot at all, ever, ask a child to do something that we're not doing. We could not... For a moment, not as a teacher and certainly not as a parent, you cannot expect your kids to have a better relationship with God than you yourself have. You cannot expect them to have a better relationship with shul, with mitzvot, with shabbat, with kashrut and so on if you don't have it yourself. Don't let them catch you um, falling short of uh, what you demand from them, what you command them to do. This is the most incredible lesson that we learn from God Almighty himself which is set the right example, and you yourself have to teach by your example. We need to be able to say to our children, I want you to be holy because I am holy. I want you to be kind because I am kind. I want you to give tzedakah because I give tzedakah. I want you to follow the example that you have seen that your mother and father set. I cannot ever imagine, I cannot ever ask you to uh, attend Davening every day, for instance, which many of our schools uh, demand from kids. Um, if I don't, um, as fathers, as parents in a modern world, it's become more and more the fad, the fashion um, for uh, parents to be so actively involved, they would think with their children, that they don't realize that they're setting a negative example in that uh, fathers should be going to Daven with a minion, if it's possible, on a regular basis, and not doing other things at that time, and not even taking the kids to school. Yeah, don't throw everything at me. Don't be upset about it. But the fact of the matter is that children learn a lot more from the fact that their father wakes up early in the morning and goes to Daven than they will ever learn from him spending time taking them to school. Of course, when there's no alternative, we do understand. Of course, when you're talking about single parenting, um, we do understand. But in the run of the mill, when we're talking about parents, where there are both parents, mother and father, it is important that parents teach their kids the importance of prayer, the importance of davening. And you can only do that by the finest example that you yourself set. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So let's perhaps put a little bit of a different spin on uh, the concept of mitzvahs being connectors, being things that connect us to God, and let's think about the way that they connect us to each other. Yes, how about we think about the fact that many of the mitzvot that uh, pertain to you and your family can be done and should be done together. When we think about Shabbat, when we think about Kashrut, those ones are easy. What about Tzedakah? What about children really seeing, which I am sure the little girl that I spoke to you about right at the beginning of uh, today's program, what about um, allowing your kids to see 
or enabling your kids to see that tzedakah is being given in the home, teaching them by practical example, um, taking them with you when you go to give charity to the Chebra Kedisha or um, uh, when you enable or you have someone who visits your home, let them see the way that you treat a uh, person who's coming to collect either for an organization or even if it's for themselves. Um, let kids learn by that practical example. You don't have to say a word to them. Just let them feel and understand and be enabled by that kind of an environment that you have done. It'll make you um, closer. It'll bring about the performance of mitzvot if they bring about a connectivity and a closeness and a togetherness between ourselves and the Almighty. They certainly will bring about a connectivity and a closeness and a togetherness between families. They always used to say that a family that prays together stays together. I think that that is true, but I think that it's also any family that does any mitzvah together. This is the glue that um, can and will undoubtedly, because we're taught it in our Torah, it will keep our families together. It will keep us together. It keeps our communities together. It makes us prosper. It makes us flourish. It makes us fulfilled and uh, proper, committed and active, actively engaged and actively um, involved Jews and Jewesses. So if we could learn something in these days before Shavuot, perhaps it should be the importance of setting the right example, being the kind of example that you need to be for your children or for your families. And if it's the other way around, in some environments, the kids need to lead the parents, and that's okay too in a certain realm. So do it if you don't want to do it or you can't do it anymore for your kids. Do it for your parents. Do it for those who are around you. Set the right kind of example of how important mitzvot are to you, how important Torah is to you, how important your community is to you. And um, stop um, with the newfound ideas that um, perhaps are propagated on uh, news channels or uh, the Internet or around the world and so on, that we've got to change all of that stuff and we need to put ourselves in a realm of uh, different and much more liberal free thinking uh, people and so on these are the tried and tested um, examples that are as current today as they were thousands of years ago uh, that the Torah itself has taught us their age old teachings that have the same message if not a more appropriate and a more important message today with all of the difficulties that we have we've got to be able to know um, where our roots are. We've got to know exactly what we're all about. And we've got to continue to set those examples for our children to follow. It's as current now as uh, it was then, and it's perhaps even more important now to make sure that we're doing this all right, that we're doing it all properly. And let's hopefully blaze the trail forward um, in the coming days, in the coming year, in the coming weeks, months, and uh, time um, that uh, we have together with our families and our kids. Let's make sure that we teach them well, that we teach them right, and that we set all the right kind of examples. Please, God, be back with you again next week, same time, same place, on Judaism 101.9. This is Rabbi Michael Katz wishing you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead. And I look forward to seeing you again or hearing from you or speaking to you again soon on Judaism 101.9.